hey guys, I'm Nathan. Someone say hey. I don't usually go here. Um, I don't know if you notice. I'm, I'm an old man now. I just got a head shake. I'm like, yeah, you don't go here. No, um, you don't know me. Whatever. Uh, some of you guys literally don't know me. You're like, who is this strange guy? I used to be on SALT staff. Um, I'm, I'm still on Veritas staff. I get to be part of the adult ministry team. Um, and Jordan reached out to me this week to, to see if I could come um, share with you guys through this, this kind of encounter series. Um, man, guys, God is doing something incredible here. And, and that's not for the name of Salt Company. That's not for the name of Veritas Church. That's for Jesus' name. And Jesus is worth it. Someone say Jesus. Okay, that was really lackluster. You'll get other opportunities. Don't try to make up for it now. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need your help a little bit tonight. So if I say, like, somebody say, I mean, like, talk to me. You guys know this already, okay? Um, God is bringing people from death to life through meeting, encountering Jesus as Savior. In your midst, like, like people here are moving from death to life. And some of you guys are going through an accelerated pace of growth where your, your eyes are being opened to how much Jesus loves you and, and how compelling he is to actually move out of darkness and sin and baggage and to righteousness and holiness. God is doing that among you. And, and so I'm, I'm just grateful I get to, to kind of be on the sidelines and cheer you on. I've been praying for you. I love you. I love you guys so much. I love that you're, you're, you're meeting together in connection groups and you're meeting together on Thursday nights to worship Jesus and to learn more about him. And some of you are very new to this. I get that. Some of you have, not, have never experienced being shoulder to shoulder with people actually trying to pursue Jesus. Maybe you've been around church, maybe you've been around youth group, but you haven't actually been around people running hard after holiness. And it's kind of freaking you out, right? You're like, I don't get this. I don't know if I like this, uh, but I'm, I'm going to stick around and check it out. As we encounter Jesus, as we, as we look at Jesus, he wants to change us. He wants to transform us, not because we have something to earn or something to prove or something to pay back. But, but as we look at him, our hearts are they're, they're just moved. Like I don't have good words for it. They're, they're stirred to a new reality. God's reality, the real reality, and not this stuff we've been living in. Tonight, I want to just invite you guys into something I'm, um, I'm learning right now, like, like an encounter I'm going through with Jesus. Is that okay? We get with that? Okay. I, I don't have it all worked out, <laughs> but, um, but let's go. Uh, we're, we're tonight, um, man, I, I have a burden for you guys. Like tonight, there's something we really, really need to get our minds around. Because um, you guys are a generation under attack. Like I'm a millennial, and so we've been under attack, but that's just been a lot of shade from old people, right? You know, but you guys aren't millennials. You, you know, if you've been on the internet, you know it's, everything's millennials' fault, okay? That's fine. I'll take it. Thick skin, soft heart. Um, <laughs> unlike... Unlike what I grew up with and went through, you guys are in a different, a different battle. You have a different battleground. So, so this encounter with Jesus tonight, I, I hope, is just a, um, is a chance for truth to break into the battleground you're in. Well, let's, let's just go there. Luke 10. You got a Bible? Get there. Luke 10, starting in verse 38, we're, we're talking about an encounter with Jesus and again, I, I want to invite you guys into something that he, I think he's trying to teach me right now. 
I'm a slow learner, but, but I hope you catch it faster than I do here. We're going we're gonna to step into an encounter that two women have with Jesus. Luke 10, 38. Now as they went on their way, this is like, this is like Jesus and his crew, right? This is Jesus and the disciples. These are the people that kind of hang out with Jesus. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now that's, that's a good deal, right? Like if Jesus is coming through and you welcome him in the house, you've got kudos, right? Bonus points, gold star, A for the day. Welcome Jesus in your house if he comes by. She is doing great, okay? Martha is doing what you should do. If you're in the first century and Jesus is rolling through the village, yeah, come, come on, hang out here, Jesus, right? Because stuff's going to happen. Things are going to get real. Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. This is a little bit weird, okay? Like I know, I know as you're reading, it's like, yeah, yeah, cool, she's sitting around, weird feet, whatever, that's cool. But in their culture, it wasn't, it wasn't appropriate for Mary to be sitting at his feet because she was sitting with all the men. She was probably the only woman in the room. And it's not that they didn't value women exactly. It's just that there, there was decorum. There were social rules. She was supposed to be helping her sister Martha. But instead, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. And she's listening to his teaching. She's just sitting there, eyes fixed on Jesus, listening. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Someone say distracted. distracted. Anyone feel distracted? Anyone been distracted? Remember the last time you were reading your Bible and you got two verses in and then you like something went off on your phone and you're like, well, Snapchat, forgot I had that, right? Remember the last time you were trying to write a paper and you got eh, two sentences into that and you had something else to do? You guys are, are under attack when it comes to your attention. Someone say attention. I think we can relate to being distracted, right? I think we can relate a little bit to being distracted. Martha was distracted with much serving. That's not a bad thing. She's not wasting her time, but she's, Jesus is in the house and she's trying to prepare a meal for him. She's trying to treat him as an honored guest, so she's working hard to, to lay a table, delicious food for Jesus because she knows he's a big deal. She's doing everything right, but she's, she's distracted in her doing everything right. Like some of us are distracted and we're not doing everything right anyway, right? I'm not even distracted with good stuff. I'm just distracted. Martha is distracted with much serving. And she went up to him. She went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left, left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. Look at what she says to Jesus. Do you not care? Jesus, doesn't it move you? Don't, aren't, aren't you, like, don't you see what's happening? She's sitting there and I'm slaving away in the kitchen. I invited you in. I'm the one that brought you into my house. I'm preparing a feast for you, Jesus. And she's sitting there. She assumes she knows Jesus' answer, so she says, tell her then to help me. Like, she doesn't wait for Jesus to answer, right? She's like, okay, Jesus, we're on the same page. She should be helping me, so just tell her to help me, right? You, she's listening to you. She won't listen to me. I keep nagging, but just tell her she's got to come help me. 
we, we get into a dangerous place when, when we become distracted with doing a lot of the right things, we begin to assume what Jesus wants us to do. And as she assumes what she knows Jesus wants her to do, she begins to judge what her sister is doing. Jesus, correct her. Like, get her out of there so she can come work like I am. Because I'm clearly doing the right thing, right? I'm clearly working harder than she is. I'm clearly serving you, unlike her who's sitting. If you've got to pick between serving and sitting, come on, get in the kitchen with me. She assumes what Jesus wants. She assumes he wants her service. And she judges her sister in the process. Verse 41, but the Lord, which it's weird that she called him Lord, right? She said, okay, you're Lord. Lord, tell her to help me. But usually you don't command the Lord what to do, right? You, you should be letting him command you, but she's going, tell her to tell, to, to, to come help me out, Jesus. Come on. Like, I can picture her. It's not very flattering. Like, I'm being judgmental now. Like, I'm, I don't give her a very flattering voice. It's like, Jesus, you better tell her to come. Yeah, it's probably not helpful. Um, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm convicted now about the voice in my head about... Anyway, let's keep going. Guys, let's keep going. I told you I don't have this all together. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, which again, she, she asked a question and she gave an answer to herself. She asked a question and she gave a command to Jesus. So Jesus is interrupting her, her thought process, interrupting the flow of conversation that she's having to redirect her. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. When, when Jesus says your name twice, he's not doing it to, to shame you. He's not doing it to call you out. He's like, Martha, Martha. When he says your name twice, it's because he cares about you and he loves you and he's calling you, calling you to himself. It's, it's, a, it's a way of him showing endearment. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Anyone feeling anxious? Anyone feeling troubled? The three descriptions we've gotten of our dear, sweet friend Martha is distracted, anxious, and troubled. And I feel like I can just see that on some of your faces. Like you haven't gone to connection group because, man, you're just, you're anxious. You got stuff going on. Like you don't have time to, to read your Bible because you're, you're distracted. You got things to do. You don't have space in your soul to pray because you're just anxious. You were, you were troubled about many things, and so it feels like you can't slow your heart down long enough to pray. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you were anxious. You were troubled about many things. There's a lot going on. But one thing is necessary. Just one, just one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. These two sisters have an encounter with Jesus that begins to flip, flip on its head our perspective of, of religious life, of Christian life, of, of encountering Jesus. One was working really hard to serve Jesus, and the other was sitting at his feet. One was doing all of the right things. She invites Jesus in the house. She's preparing a feast for Jesus. And Jesus says, your, your sister 
she actually got to feast on me. You've been working so hard to feed me, and I've just been feeding her hungry soul. You've been working so hard, maybe even to escape your anxiety and your troubled soul. I didn't ask you to. I would have loved if you had just come and sat and listened and just been close to me. Some of you don't understand a Christianity apart from hard work, from serving in the kitchen and trying to prepare a meal for Jesus. And there's something good about that. Like Jesus is worth it. He really is worth it. But maybe that's not what he's asking of you. He's not asking you to clean yourself up before you can come to him. He's not asking you to, to, okay, accept me and then just get out and work hard to prove that you're good enough for me. He's not offering you life with one hand and then, and then giving you a bait and switch of religious performance and duty on the other. Now, Mary, if Jesus had said anything, she would have done it. If he had said anything to her, she would have obeyed. Like, obedience is an overflow, but it's an overflow of love. Jesus doesn't want your work. He wants your love. And your, your love might turn into work. Your love should turn into obedience, but it doesn't start at hard work and obedience. It starts at sitting at his feet and actually meeting Jesus for who he is. When was the last time you sat at his feet? Like, when was the last time you sat at his feet long enough to let him tell you what you should do next? And I'm not trying to get weird, like, all right, I wake up in the morning, and I sit, and I go, Jesus, Pop-Tart or toast, <laughs> right? And then he says Pop-Tart, and then I go, okay, but cherry or blueberry, right? <laughs> I actually have cherry and blueberry Pop-Tarts at home because I'm a grown man, and I can do my own grocery shopping. But I, like... Now, now, he might tell you what breakfast to eat. I'm not saying he doesn't want to, but, I, but I, I'm trying to poke at the fact that in my life, I can work really hard for Jesus and be really bad at sitting at his feet and listening to Jesus. And what happens to me is I get into a space where I'm working really hard, serving in the kitchen, and I'm telling Jesus, Jesus, shouldn't other people be in here with me? Right? Look at them. They should be working hard. They should be doing what I'm doing. Jesus, come on. Tell them. I begin to assume what Jesus wants from me and other people as opposed to listening to what he actually wants. You can be so hard about your religious duty, so hard at work that you're trying to set a table for Jesus when he set the table for you and he's offering you a feast. Are you too busy to feast? Your soul is hungry. And your Christianity, your religion feels anemic. It feels starved. Because you haven't let him feed you. Martha was distracted. She was anxious. She was troubled. She had every opportunity to encounter Jesus. Jesus was in the house. And she missed him. Because she assumed what he would want from her was her hard work. 
when all he wanted was her attention. All he wanted was her to sit at his feet. There's a, there's kind of a phrase, there's kind of a logic I, I want rattling around in our brains a little bit, okay? I'm going I'm to put it one way that i got to explain a little bit, and I'm going to try to put it another way that might make more sense, I don't know. But um, what gets your attention gets your affection. Someone say attention. Attention is the focus of your mind, the focus of your eyes, right? Attention is your phone going off in salt company with, with notifications that you don't need to deal with right now. Attention is also the, the burdens of your soul, the things that you can't escape when you're going to bed at night and you think about um, struggles or past failures or people in your life you worry about. What gets your attention gets your affection. Someone say affection. Affection is kind of a big fancy word, right? I'm a big fancy guy. Cool. Um, affection is just like the movement of your heart. It's kind of like emotion, but it's deeper than just happy or sad. Affection is the, the stuff that moves you. Think about it this way. I, I, um, I know some people that are very, very moved by politics. You all know some of those people? Some of you are like, yep, that's, they're in my connection group and they won't shut up, right? They're in our families. They're in our dorm rooms. They're at work. Some of them are you, okay? Yep, you know who you are. And this, this weird thing happens where um, the more you put your attention on politics, the more you moved you are by politics. And that movement could be um, excitement and joy or it could be anger and frustration, right? Or I, I know someone who's very, very, very concerned about the coronavirus, and they've got some good reasons to, but they watch the news for every statistic and every update and everything like that, and it doesn't lead towards more... Um, wisdom, understanding, or peace, it leads towards more frustration, right? Knowledge is good and useful, but knowledge without context tends to lead towards just anger. And so I'm, I'm not saying that his attention is, um, is wrong per se, but I look at the movement of his heart and I go, dude, you were, you were angry. You were bitter. Like the movement of your heart is towards anger. What has his attention has his affection. That, it's also like a relationship, right? Y'all know in the first days we were like, yo, what's up? Didn't know you wore socks too. Those are pretty cool. You want to hang out and talk about socks sometime? Wow. I, I noticed you have a new uh, sock on today. I never noticed your socks, but that's cool, right? Like it's, it's those weird things that all of a sudden you start to, you start to notice every detail. And it's like, wow, guys, can you believe she wears socks? I didn't even, I mean, I, I know some people, but she, the way she wears socks, though, guys, have you even seen, right? Like, like the, the things that start to catch your eye, it's like every little thing, I start, my heart is moved, and I, and I love, and I desire. I didn't even know I love socks until she wore them, right? Like, like what gets your attention, what, what gets your attention begins to get your affection. What got Martha's attention was her sister was sitting at Jesus' feet instead of helping, and it... It frustrated her. It, it, it annoyed her. And, and here's the deal. What gets your affection gets your action. The things that move your heart begin to move your hands. It, it moves from a heart level to an action level. Martha sees her sister as not serving like she is. She is moved by that. 
And she goes and talks to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell her to get in the kitchen. Now, again, anytime you go to Jesus and you begin demanding things and telling him what to do, you're wrong. Your heart is off. Something is jacked up there. And sometimes that action is really bold and blunt, like, hey, girl, what's up? You wearing socks? You want to hang out and talk socks sometime? Right? Like, sometimes you go and you do something about it. Other times the action becomes spiraling down into distraction, anxiety, and a troubled heart. It's the, it's the Friday night when you, you're on social media and everyone is having a better time than you. And your attention has gone to, to what everyone else is doing and your heart is moved by it, moved towards self-loathing, moved towards feeling less valuable, feeling unloved. And the action might be something like just going deeper in that spiral. Paralysis. Not reaching out for help or, or not reaching out to God in prayer, but just um, scrolling a little bit more. Clicking on someone else's profile to see how good of a time they have or they're having compared to you. Or, or maybe the action for you is you, you are working really hard to prove to other people that you're having a good time. Because what's gotten your attention is other people's attention. What's gotten your attention is, hey, how many people are watching me? How many people are liking what I'm putting out there? And your heart is moved up or down based on what you think they might think about you. And so you've been acting a lot, working really hard to try to capture and cultivate their attention. You would never say it like that. But it's the amount of time you spent picking your outfit to come to Salt Company. It's the amount of time that you spent trying to figure out what exactly to post. It can look like all kinds of things, right? What gets your affection, or what gets your attention gets your affection, and what gets your affection gets your action. And, and here's one reason why we need to see this. Sometimes in our Christian life, we work really hard to change our actions. Okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to not care what they think about me. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to not be anxious about this. And we start to work really hard on the level of action, but our attention has not shifted. I'm going to work really, really hard to, to read my Bible now, but, but actually, though, my attention continues to drift back, and so my heart hasn't been moved. And, and it, the, the dangerous place to be is when you can start to control some of your action in religious duty and performance, but your heart has not been moved. Because your attention hasn't been moved. Do you guys hear, hear what I'm saying in this? Like, is it just me? Am I the only one that's been there where I'm reading my Bible, but my attention is somewhere totally different? And so my heart's not engaged. I'm not sitting at Jesus' feet. I'm, I'm troubled, and I'm anxious, and I'm a million miles away. Or I'm going to pray. I'm, I'm supposed to be sitting at Jesus' feet, and my mind is somewhere completely different. I might even say the right words in my mind and my heart are somewhere completely different. Another way to say this, what grabs your eyes, how did I say this? Can you put that up for me? What catches your eyes, thank you, moves your heart, and what moves your heart guides your hands. Maybe your hands have been guided by a heart that has been stirred and moved for things that have caught your eye. And you've been worried about the hands level and you miss the eyes level. Does that make sense? 
here's why this, um, this has provoked me thinking of you guys and praying for you guys. You guys are in a battle for your attention. Like the, the world that you are in, the space you're living in, you are bombarded and assaulted and attacked to get your attention. I'm not trying to use hyperbole. I genuinely believe that, that you're in a war. And guys, it's not your fault. Like you didn't put yourself there, but, but it is your fight. There's a fight for your, your attention. Because what gets your attention gets your affection, and what gets your affection will get your action. And I'm afraid for you that what you can do is in a joy and excitement of encountering Jesus, you can run to the kitchen and start serving really hard and miss the fact that your attention moved off of him. I'm thinking of you salt leaders, especially. You guys are killing it. You were loving people well. You were chasing people down. You were, you were trying to share the gospel and share hope. I, my worry for you is that your attention would move off of Jesus and how good he is and how worthwhile he is and, and move to action for Jesus. And along the way, your affection, your heart grow cold. And you might not even know it until you start looking around at other people and going, man, why aren't they doing what they should be doing? Right? Why aren't they serving like God? Why aren't they sharing the gospel? Like, why aren't they leading like they should be? Why, why are they still struggling with that? Why aren't they choosing to fight? Why aren't, why aren't they? And, and, and you start to look at Mary and you go, Mary, get in the kitchen. Like, it's convicting to me because that, like, that's me, right? I am Martha. I don't do a good job at sitting at Jesus' feet. And, and the thing that would arrest the movement of God in this place is not God leaving. It's us actually leaving from his feet and going to the kitchen. It's us actually missing what obedience to Jesus looks like because we're trying so hard to obey Jesus. It's all of the distraction and anxiety and troubled hearts that we have in this room. Instead of going to the one place they belong at the feet of Jesus, we go off and try really hard to do good Christian things. And some of you tonight, you're not Christians because you don't, you've never met Jesus. The hope in this passage is that Jesus is in the house. He's not somewhere else for you to go run and try to find. He's not hiding from you. He's not far away. And friends, when we look at Jesus, when we sit at his feet on this side of the cross, we see his feet have scars where he proved his love for you. That when you sit at his feet, he will never abuse you. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. Even if he asks you to obey. He just wants you to sit at his feet long enough to hear his voice and what he would actually invite you into instead of assuming and running. Jesus is in the house and that changes everything. You need to fight for your attention. You need to fight for your eyes. You need to fight to sit at Jesus' feet. Fight to do less sometimes. Here's what I think that could look like. 
What if you dedicated? I'm talking about something that is actually going to be very difficult. If you, if you want to stay distracted, that's fine. Tune out. Go, go be distracted, right? I'm going to say something really hard. Um, what if you dedicated every Friday night to sitting at Jesus' feet? What if you turned off your phone? What if you didn't watch Netflix or YouTube or Hulu or whatever your vice is? What if you actually worshipped and prayed and read your Bible and sat at Jesus' feet? And it's not always going to feel good. It's not always going to feel like Jesus is in the house, but that's not because he's not. It just might take a while to to push through the distraction and the anxiety and the trouble to, to get to a place where you can listen. What would happen in your life if every Friday night your phone was off and you were at Jesus' feet? What would that do to you? People would think you're weird, right? That would be very odd, okay? That nobody does that. Everybody's out being distracted. But what would that do for the pace and the tempo, the temperature of your heart? I think your affections would start to move. Your feelings would begin to line up with your attention. Not, not always, maybe not even at first, but, but I think you'd actually begin to act and obey the way Jesus wants you to. What would it look like if you said, screw it to social media? Not because you're trying to make a stance, not because you want people to know that you're not on social media, right? And, and in your mind, you're like, yeah, but I, then I would miss out. Yes, that's the point. You would miss out because you tune into something better, you would miss out because you'd actually be feasting. What if it took you fasting from things like that so you could actually get hungry enough to know there's a better portion and feast on Jesus? He is the better portion. He wants to satisfy your aching, longing, troubled soul. He wants that for you. He wants it more than you want it for you. Take him up on it. I dare you. And again, you don't have to tell anyone. You don't have to tell a soul. That's fine. But replace your distraction with with attention on the one who's worth it. What would it look like if you began to worship as if the God of the universe was listening to you worship? Because in this room, we don't worship for each other, right? Right? Like, we don't worship for other people, and, and sometimes my friends that are, like, the worst at singing are the best at doing this, and I love it, right? You know that dude in the row who's like, this is how I fight my battle, right? You know that guy? No? You might be that guy if you don't know that guy. I love those people because it makes me actually worship more. It's very weird because they don't care about me, and, like, that's okay, Right? Because your worship isn't for the people around you, even though they might be helped by it, sure, but it's, it's because the God of the universe is tuning his ear in because he wants your attention. He's not, he's not needy, he actually deserves it. He's not lonely and you gotta keep him company. You're lonely and he's inviting you in to his throne room to just be at his feet because he loves you. Because he actually has something good for you. What if you tuned your heart in a little bit more to him? Thursday night's great. What, what about Friday nights? What about Saturday mornings? What about whenever? I was meeting with a guy today who, um, he's new to the city, and he's, he's just trying to figure this Jesus thing out, and he works so much that he can't get to connection group. He can barely make it to church. He doesn't have any time at all. 
Dude is, is a cook, and he's got the Bible in his ear while he's cooking, like listening. And he's new to Christianity. He's like, I don't know enough. I don't know, I don't know Christianity. I'm trying to figure this out. That's one way of even just trying to sit at Jesus' feet in the everyday stuff. But, but again, before you, man, before you try to, to push Jesus into your everyday rhythm, you need to create some space to actually tune into his voice so you can hear him when, when the noise is going on. You gotta sit at his feet when things are quiet so you can hear his voice so when things are busy and loud, you can actually tune in. Like, please don't tell me, ah, I don't have a set-aside time for prayer because I'm just praying continually. I always pray, right? Nah, you don't. <laughs> like, like, maybe you're throwing some Hail Mary prayers of like, oh, Lord, my test. Oh, Lord, I didn't write my paper. Maybe. Those are good. Jesus hears those. But you actually need to cultivate, to create like a garden, cultivate some space for your attention to grow and bear fruit of affection in your heart, stir for the one who deserves it. So he can shape your action, your obedience. Sit at his feet, listen to his voice, and then whatever he says, do it. Y'all ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Someone say Spurgeon. Not Sturgeon, right? Spurgeon. He's a dead guy. Um, I like dead guys a lot. Um, it sounds weird when I say it, but I read dead guys a lot, okay? He, he's an English um, pastor, and he wrote this devotional called Morning and Evening. And one of the things he said that I read years ago, it stuck with me. He said, um, just like God walked through the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, so Jesus is walking through every page of the Bible just waiting for you to meet with him. Jesus is in the house. Do you want to sit at his feet? He has the better portion for you. Are you, are you troubled? Are you distracted? Are you anxious? I know I am. What Jesus says to you, when he says to me, one thing is necessary. There's a lot of good stuff you can do. There's a lot of religious stuff you can do. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and that will not be taken away from her. Guys, the portion is Jesus himself. He loves you, and he wants you. And he wants to give himself to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to worship we're going to try to set our attention. We're going to try to set our eyes on him. And if tonight you've got burdens and troubles and anxieties and worries, bring them to him. He's not scared of them. Again, he's got the nail scars to prove it. He can handle it. Bring them to him. Bring them to him by singing loudly and declaring who he is or bring them to him by laying on your face and just bowing at his feet because he's Lord. And then tonight when we leave this place, begin to, to set a lifestyle of putting your attention on him. Sit at his feet and don't you dare move until he's captured your heart. And then whatever he says, just do it. So let me pray. Jesus, you told us you're the better portion. Tonight, we want to encounter you. I believe, help my unbelief. 
Jesus, so many of my friends in here have experienced a kind of Christianity that looks a lot like serving and doing good things and, and trying to prepare a table for you and missing out that you're the feast, that you offer yourself to us. And some of my friends have never, have never once experienced what it's like to sit at your feet. And Jesus, I confess, I haven't, I haven't the way I want to. But tonight, I, I pray that you'd begin to break in with your kindness and your love that you demonstrated by, by coming to meet us and dying for us that we could have you life with you forever, forgiven and free and clean because you paid for it. As we worship, teach us to worship. As we sing, teach us to sing. As we, as we declare who you are, help the eyes of our hearts be fixed on your face, Jesus. You're worthy. You're worth it. You're worth it all. We praise in your name. Amen.